let's stand together, and uh, we're going to, we, we, we keep you in shape around here. You're up and down and up and down. See, we have a hidden agenda. We want a healthy church, so that's what we're doing. Good to have all of you today on uh, Resurrection Sunday. Like we've already mentioned, last year we didn't even meet, but here we are, and it's so good to see all of you, and I've seen a lot of faces I haven't seen in a long time. And it really, really blesses me to see you. I hope you'll make it a habit to come back. And those of you that are watching online, we welcome you. And I believe that God's going to touch you right there in your living room, uh, wherever you happen to be. And thank God for modern technology. We can do that. I think I'm going to talk to you about the resurrection today. That's not like a good idea. And I'm going to talk to you about what hinders you from believing. What hinders you from believing? Now, I know most of us in here uh, do believe in Jesus. We're here celebrating our Savior. But uh, this message is going to speak to both sides of the aisle, those that know him and those that don't. And I'm going to read a pretty lengthy uh, portion of Scripture, but I'm going to zip right through it and do my best to do it without any commentary, which is almost impossible for me, but I'm going to try. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And this is one of my very favorite stories in the Bible. It's following Jesus' resurrection, and two of his disciples have decided to get out of Dodge, Dodge being Jerusalem, and go to a little town called Emmaus to kind of clear their head, because they're very confused. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But it says, starting in verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, the crucifixion and all that tumult. Verse 15, and while they were talking and discussing together, watch this, everyone, Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, drew near and began to walk with them. But they did not recognize him. He's walking next to them. They don't know who he is. And verse 17, he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, I love this, Jesus feigned ignorance. What things? And they began to talk to Jesus about Jesus. He says, They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Now listen to their heartbreak in verse 21. We had hoped. Everybody say, we had hoped. So we're hearing crushed hope here. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company have amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back telling us they'd seen a vision of angels. Can you believe that? That's their tone. Who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb. We found it just like the women had said, but him they didn't see. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's the greatest Bible study of all time. Had to have been. 
verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted like he was going to keep going and leave them there. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table, notice when you invite Jesus, he comes. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Wow. Jesus, thank you for your word today. I pray you will bless it and touch us with the reality of the resurrection in Jesus' name. And I pray for anyone far from you, bring them close. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he is risen and you can be seated. Thank you. Amen. Now, this is the account, as I've already said, of two of Jesus' disciples who finally decided Jerusalem was too much for them. They'd seen the crucifixion. They had seen his arrest. They'd seen the crowd that had said, Hosanna to the Son of the Highest just a few days before turn and say, crucify him when Jesus was hung on the cross. Uh, they'd seen him beaten, bloodied, bruised, abused. They'd watched it with their own eyes as they laid Jesus down and nailed him to a cross. They watched all that and their emotions are churning. Their heart is broken. They are confused and heartbroken about what had happened to their Savior and so they finally decided, we can't take Jerusalem anymore. We've got to get out of town. We, we've got to exit and go somewhere and clear our head. You know the feeling. We need a break. And so they picked a little town called Emmaus, seven miles out of Jerusalem, just a day's walk. And while they're walking down the lonely road, talking to one another about all the events that have gone down, uh, Jesus the resurrected Jesus appears and walks up to them and begins to walk with them down the road. And the answer to their perplexity is right next to them now. They don't recognize him. They can't see him. Now, a lot of people have offered reasons for why they could not recognize Jesus. Because here he is. They knew him. They followed him. They walked with him. They loved him. Uh, he was their savior. He was their guy. He, uh, he was their Messiah. And now he walks up to them on the road and they do not recognize who he is. And he starts talking with them. Now, some have said, well, the reason they didn't recognize him is because he's got now a glorified body and his glorified body looks a little bit different. I'll give you that. It might have. But I want to suggest to you today that there was another reason. Matter of fact, there were three reasons. They didn't recognize who he was. And those three reasons affect you and they affect me and they affect people who don't know Christ. They affect us all. And let me tell you what those reasons were. Emotions, circumstances, and unbelief. And I'm going to show it to you. Emotions and circumstances and unbelief were blocking them from recognizing Jesus. I want you to notice, Jesus made the overture. He came to them in their pain. He came to them in their hurt. He came to them in their perplexity and their confusion. Jesus made the first move. Jesus came to them. And I want you to know that's the way Jesus is. The Bible says, Jesus talking, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. 
And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus always makes the first move. And with some of you, he's making the first move right now. He's coming up side of you, next to you, to talk to you, to reach out to you in your pain. Jesus approached them in their pain, uh, not just to sit there while they hurt, but to help them in their pain, to heal their pain, to clear their pain up, to, to, to assist them, to pick them back up. So first, they were limited in knowing who he was by their emotions. The Bible says they talked together of all these things which had happened. Now, this is as they were walking down the road before Jesus came up to them. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, began to walk with them. Now, the word reason there is not the way we think of it. It doesn't mean to think logically through something. But the Greek word that we translate into reasoned here means to dispute. So not only were they were discussing the things that had gone down, that they were confused about, but they were, they were, it, it, it was a heated debate. We could put it that way. They were saying, well, here's what I think happened. Here's why I think it happened. And th- this is the reason. And that's the reason. And they were almost, we could almost say they were locking horns. They were having a moment. It was a heated debate when Jesus walked up. It was not a, a, a pleasant walk down the dirt road. They, they were getting after it a little bit. It was intense and it was emotional. They were emotional. Their emotions were, uh, were, were high octane. Their, their emotions were raging when Jesus walked up to them. They didn't even see the risen Christ because they were so emotional. It says their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Now, that is not telling us that God restrained their eyes. I used to think that. For some weird reason, God restrained their eyes. That's not what it's telling us. It's telling us their eyes were restrained because they were so emotional, they could not see what was standing right in front of them. They were so emotional that they couldn't see that it was Jesus. It was their emotions that did it, their sorrow, their disappointment, their confusion. It's hard to imagine the emotions they'd been through. I I can't imagine it because they had followed Jesus. Listen, these were followers of Christ. He was not some distant personality to them. They'd followed him. They'd eaten with him. They had sat there and listened to him teach over and over again. They loved him. You know, to know Jesus is to love him. I challenge you to get to know him and not love him. Uh, He's not a party pooper. He's not a a fun killer. He's one that if you get to know him, you're going to love him. He is altogether lovely and lovable. And they had fallen in love with Jesus. They loved Jesus. But, but see, and they were devoted to his teachings. They loved the way he taught. They said, no man ever spoke like this man. It said that of Jesus. But, but there's something more here. Because folks, we need to understand the times in which this happened. They believed, they fully believed that just like Moses had delivered God's people from the tyranny and the oppression of Egypt to carry them into the promised land. They believed that Jesus had arrived to deliver them from the tyranny of Rome and give them a better life. Please hear me on this now. This is historically a fact. See, there were two messiahs prophesied in the Old Testament. 
One of them was a gentle lamb of God, Isaiah 53, who would die for our sins, who would suffer for us, who, who, who would be rejected by men, ostracized by men, who would, who would live a life of, of, of pain and who would die on a cross. That's all prophesied in the Old Testament. But there's another Messiah prophesied, one that would rule the world with a scepter of righteousness in endless years of peace and joy. No no more voting, no more elections, no more politics. But Jesus would be installed by God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords over the earth. And they knew that there were those two prophecies. And those two different messiahs are prophesied in the Old Testament. And see, they thought he was the second one. They believed with all their heart that he was the second one. And by his, by his power, the one that healed the sick and raised the dead and cast out devils and walked on water and multiplied uh, the fishes and the loaves and, and did all these wondrous miracles that because and by his wondrous working miracle power, he was going to overthrow the Caesar and the Roman government and lead them into a promised land, a better life. They fully believe that. They even said to Jesus, remember, we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. That was their crushed hope. They had the right kind of hope. It was just the wrong timing. But instead, their hero and their hope was arrested. And they're sitting there thinking, I'm sure, well, he'll get out of it. He always did. When they, when they came to arrest him before, he just slipped through the crowd and disappeared, and they never could lay their hands on him. So we're about to see our Jesus, our hero, our Messiah. He's going to slip through them once again and, and, and overthrow Rome, and we're going to be set free, and we're going to have a brand new life and a great future. But he did not magically escape by a wave of his hand as he had often slipped through their presence. And before their very eyes, it got worse. They began to beat him, and they began to pluck out his beard, and they thrust on his head the crown of thorns, and and they mocked him, and they ridiculed him, and they stripped him, and they whipped him. And before their very eyes, they can't believe he's not being delivered by divine intervention. What is going on here? Talk about spiraling into disillusionment and despair. And then the worst came. Crucify him. And the beaten, bloody Jesus is carried off to a cross, laid on the ground, spikes put through his hands and his feet. And he's hoisted up into the air and dropped down into the ground. And their Savior, their answer, their hope, their future deliverer dies right in front of them. And listen... When Jesus died, their hope of a better life died. Because they didn't understand the first appearance of Messiah. They understood the second. And there are a lot of people today, folks, who don't see the truth of Jesus because of strong emotions. We live in a time where emotions and feelings are placed above facts. Have you noticed that? If I feel it, it's got to be true. If I feel it, it's a fact. But listen, you, you can feel something really strongly and it not be true or it not be right. But see, we placed a premium on feeling and, and, and we have marginalized and minimized facts when it ought to be the other way around. Facts ought to guide us and not feelings. But we're in a culture right now where feelings are everything. If you feel it, then it's got to be true. And if it's true for you, it's true. Forget the facts. 
So we are emotion-driven in our culture right now. And that's why I believe a lot of people miss Jesus, Christians and non-Christians alike. Christians get all emotional about things and Jesus comes up to them and he's right there walking with them, but they can't see that he's walking with them and wants to help them through their trial because they're so emotional they can't see him. And he wants into your pain. He wants into your hurt. He wants into your confusion. He wants into your despair. He wants into your depression. He wants to help you out. But you got to see him. You got to reach out to him. You got to let him in. I stand at the door and I knock. You got to let him in. Feelings and emotions aren't bad. God gave them to us. Thank God for emotions. I feel kind of emotional right now about the resurrection of Jesus. What about you? Amen. But, but my emotion about the resurrection of Jesus is based on a fact. He really did rise from the dead. And since I know that's factually true, I can let my emotions go. Hallelujah, glory to God. He's a risen Savior. That makes me emotional. And if that doesn't make you emotional, let me make you emotional. You need to get excited that he rose from the dead. Amen? We aren't supposed to place our faith in feelings. We're supposed to place our faith in facts. The Bible says he who trusts in his own heart, his own emotions, his own feelings is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be kept safe. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, your own feelings, your own emotions, because often those emotions and feelings will lead you away from God and not towards him. Maybe some of you listening to me right now, letting your emotions keep you from the truth of Christ, the risen Savior has approached you, has knocked on the door of your heart, but because of your emotions. Let me give you an example. Emotionally, you just can't possibly believe that somebody was raised from the dead. Emotionally, you can't believe it. It doesn't feel right to place your faith in something you cannot see. But can I tell you something? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Invisible doesn't mean non-existent. I don't see the wind, but I see it blow the trees. I don't see the wind, but I feel it blow on me. I don't see Jesus, but lay, I see what Jesus does. I see the lives he changes. I see the lives he transforms. I don't have to see him. Having not seen him, yet you love him. Much like these two men, there are people all over America, maybe some right here in this sanctuary or watching online. You're blinded to the truth of Jesus by your emotions. Jesus could walk right up to you right now, and your emotions would hinder you from recognizing him. But can I tell you there at home and tell all of you here today that Jesus is right next to you? He's right next to you. He's right there with you. He, he's here to help you. He's here to deliver you. Uh, he, listen, he, he, he loves you more than you could ever know. And he's a risen savior. He's a victorious savior. The devil couldn't defeat him. Men couldn't defeat him. Evil couldn't defeat him. Nothing could defeat him. He went down, yes, into a grave. He got up again on the third day. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen. So don't let your emotions, your emotions keep you from God. Don't do it. Your anger, your fear, your doubt, your rage, 
Don't let your emotions keep you from him. I wish I could tell the whole nation, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, Fox. I wish I could go on all of them and talk to the rage that is in this nation and the anger that is in this nation and say to them, don't let your anger, don't let your rage, don't let your emotions keep you from the one who has walked right up next to you and is trying to get your attention. The second thing that kept them from recognizing him was their circumstances. These two men couldn't see Jesus because of the overwhelming circumstances that surrounded them. And that happens all the time. We note in the story that as he walked up to them, there he is, the resurrected, victorious, conquering Messiah, walks up to them, and the first thing they want to talk about is the circumstances surrounding them. Are you the only one that, that, that doesn't know about the things that have happened in Jerusalem in these last days? Things refers to circumstances, the tumult of the crowd, the, the kangaroo court they rushed Jesus through, his crucifixion on the cross, the angry mob calling for his death and mocking him while he hung on the tree. The, the circumstances were tumultuous. They, they were emotional. They, they were heavy-duty circumstances rocking Jerusalem at the time Jesus approached them on the road. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and you don't know about the circumstances that have boggled our minds? You don't know about Jesus? You don't know about this man? You don't know what happened to him? I love Jesus' response. What things? I love that. Because you know what he's doing? He's wanting them to spill their guts. He's wanting them to get it all out. See, we're so afraid to tell Jesus the truth. Well, I better not tell him I'm struggling with this because if I tell him about that, he's not going to like it. Let me tell you something. He already knows. You never tell Jesus something he doesn't know. You tell him something that you need to get out. And he said, what things? Because he wanted, he knew, I'm never going to be able to reach them until they spill their guts and get what's on their mind off their mind. So he said, what things? And they proceeded to tell Jesus all about Jesus. They said, oh, he was a prophet, mighty in deed and mighty in words. And they said, we were hoping he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. In other words, the circumstances of his arrest was affecting their ability to see the victorious, risen Christ. How often circumstances keep us from seeing Jesus come right up to us. We're so caught up in circumstances. Bills to pay, kids to raise, the kids have gone nuts on me. What am I going to do? My marriage is falling apart. I don't have enough money. I might lose my job. I did lose my job. My car is breaking down. My, my roof is leaking. I've got my mind on all these different circumstances surrounding me. And we don't see Jesus come right up next to us and say, give me your pain. Give me your need. Give me your hurt. Give me your bleeding. Let me stop the bleeding. Let me into your life, your orbit, your need. And we, we look around us today, talk about circumstances in 2020, oh my, 2020 was a year of heavy duty circumstances, the crime, the dishonesty, the hatred, the riots, pandemics, political upheaval, injustices happening all around us on a daily basis, and they dominated our thinking if we let it. And all the while, Jesus was coming right up there, talk to me, come to me. 
All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest from these circumstances. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not heavy, I'm light. I won't bog you down, I will lift you up. I will not give you more than you can handle. I'll take your cares off of you. The risen Savior was right there walking with them. The answer to all their problems, and they couldn't see him because of the circumstances. What circumstances have captured your mind today? Because, listen, something dominates everybody's day. Something will dominate your mind every day. That's why I tell people the first thing in the morning, get up and get your nose in the Bible. Get on your knees. Pray. Set set the compass of your day on God first. Because if you don't, then something else is going to dominate your thinking all day long. And Jesus said, every day, take my yoke upon you. Every day, put your eyes on me. Every day, get up and seek first the kingdom of God because I'm a risen Savior and I'm here to help you. I'm, I'm not in the grave of defeat. I'm on the throne of victory. The resurrected Jesus walked right up to them, reached out to them, offered his grace to them right in the midst of harsh circumstances. He said, circumstances don't bother me. I can reach you no matter what's going on around you. I can help you no matter what is happening in this world. I can help you. But the circumstances blocked them from seeing him. And finally, their unbelief. They had flat out unbelief. It's hard to believe because they had followed Jesus, all of his disciples, for, for over three years. And they had heard him say several times, I'm going to be abused by men. They're going to whip me, beat me, and they're going to crucify me, and they're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He said that straight up to them, but they didn't hear it. They heard it, but they didn't hear it. Have you ever noticed you can hear something but not hear it? You can hear it but not understand it? That's why Jesus was always saying, he that has ears to hear, let him truly hear. If you can pick up audio sounds, then, then, then you need to truly hear by understanding what you're hearing. They just couldn't believe. They, the, the disciples that had heard him say this could not believe. When, it, when, when push came to shove, that, that he had actually been raised from the dead. They couldn't believe it. When Mary Magdalene first went to this empty tomb and, and, and uh, discovered that Jesus was gone, she ran to the disciples and told them, and the Bible says this, they did not believe. Well, there's only one word for that. That's unbelief. When you don't believe, it's unbelief. When you don't believe evidence right in front of your face, that's unbelief. When another group of women came to the disciples with the same report, it says, quote, their story sounded like a fairy tale to the men, the disciples of Jesus. They didn't believe it. Isn't that amazing? On that lonely, dusty road, we see Jesus uh, uh, upbraiding them and, and scolding them, saying, you are so slow to believe. All the prophets have spoken See, Jesus knew this about them, that they knew the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. They knew what the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the minor prophets, Moses, David, they knew. They knew what they had prophesied about Jesus, and Jesus knew that they knew. And he says, how come you're not believing the Old Testament prophets? You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be disbelieving. You ought to be rejoicing that what you believe was going to happen has happened. But instead, 
They were overlooking over 350 prophecies, over 350 prophecies about Jesus that were in the Old Testament they'd been raised on. Where he'd be born, Bethlehem. He'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah. He'd be hung on a cross, Psalms 22. They would cast lots for his clothes, Psalms 22. He would bear the sins of the entire world, Isaiah 53. He would be a suffering Messiah, Isaiah 53 and other places all throughout Isaiah. He would pave the way for a brand new covenant, Jeremiah, over and over again. And they were denying it. They were overlooking it. And it says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Because the Old Testament is all about Jesus. It points to his coming. The Old Testament points to his arrival. The New Testament looks back on his arrival. But the whole Bible is all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. And no doubt about it, one of the things that hinders people today is just flat unbelief. People can't believe. Here, watch this. They can't believe that he loves them. They, they can't believe there's a God that loves them. No, they got to attribute everything to some evolutionary process where uh, we're, we're just a clod of dirt uh, swimming around in, in an empty space with no meaning, no purpose, no design, no intent, no nothing. No wonder our young people are checking out and going to drugs and everything else in the world because they're being told, you are a, you are a mistake, an accident. You're a random, you're the, the result of a random evolutionary process that could care less about you. But the real truth is there's a God who designed us for a purpose and a reason to live. Amen. But there are all kinds of people that can't, don't come to Jesus because they can't believe that God loved them. They can't believe he wants a relationship with them. They can't believe he died on a cross for their sins. The good news is that these two men finally got it. The Bible says their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they immediately made a beeline for Jerusalem and told the disciples that they had seen the risen Christ. Now here's the bottom line. Why are we here today? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the Christian faith is a foolish fantasy, and we are, of all people, the, the worst of fools. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no Christianity, because Christianity uh, swings on the hinge of the resurrection. It is the crux of Christianity. It is what, it, listen, it is what 11 of the 12 disciples were killed for preaching, that he rose from the dead. They weren't preaching religion. They were preaching he rose from the dead, and that's why they were martyred. Paul the apostle said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The tomb was empty, and the grave clothes were vacant. Many people saw the resurrected Christ after he got up. They looked on his face. They touched him. They heard his voice. They saw him eat, and some of them ate with him. He is undeniably raised from the dead. You can't disprove it. There is no way. So what does that mean for us today? Well, if you're already a Christian, here's what it means for you and me, that Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee you also will one day rise from the dead. That's, the, that's what it's all about. Because the Bible says he's the first fruit. Everybody say first fruit. 
That means he's the first of many to come, the first fruit of the resurrection under the new covenant. He was the first one to get up from the dead. And listen to what the Bible says. Jesus has become the first of millions who will come back to life again someday because he got up so will we. And that is, that is called the blessed hope. Listen, folks, Jesus is near. He's at the very door. He's about to come back again. And when he does, what does the Bible say will happen? A trumpet will blow. An archangel will shout. And the power of God will be released all over the planet from pole to pole, nation to nation. Graves all over the world are going to open up. And the dead in Christ, those who died believing in him, are coming out of those graves. And they are immediately going to receive a glorified body. A glorified body. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. You're going to get a body that curves and working out all week long can never give you. It's going to be a body that can't hurt, a body that can't get sick, a body that never gets a headache, that never has heart disease, that never has cancer, that never has arthritis, a mind that never experiences depression or anxiety or fear or anything like that. We're going to have a body just like the body of Jesus Christ that rose from the dead. He walked through doors, but then he sat down and ate. He was no longer subject to the frailties of a human body. He had a glorified body and we're going to have the very same thing. And that is what the resurrection promises us. Mm -hmm. How many of you are looking forward to that day? Amen. 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 If you're not a Christian, I close with this. His resurrection means that he was who he said he was. Nothing validated Everything Jesus said about himself, more than the resurrection. If he didn't get up from the dead, he was a phony. But if he gets up from the dead, he was who he said he was. Who did he say he was? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Who did he say that he was? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That, those are words spoken by Jesus. He's talking about himself. Whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what he, so the resurrection proved, validated beyond, beyond argument, beyond all doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. What does that mean? That means if you put your faith in him, you will die forgiven and you will go to heaven. But if you don't put your faith in him, you will die in your sins and you alone will answer for your sins before God. The Bible promises. Listen to what Jesus said. There is no eternal doom awaiting those who trust him, that is, himself, Jesus, to save them. But those who don't trust him have already been tried and condemned for not believing in the only Son of God. If you place your faith in him, your sins are forgiven. If you don't, he was who he said he was. He came as the Lamb of God. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah. And if we don't face God covered in his blood, the Bible says we will die in our sins. He was who he said he was. He's the only way to be forgiven, the only doorway to heaven, the only person who can forgive us. So, Pastor Jeff, I've got another religion, and they're all just as good. Really? Let me tell you, bring me your founder. 
Let's take Judaism. Bring me Abraham. Abraham died centuries before Christ arrived. Give me Buddha. Buddha died centuries before Christ arrived. Give me Muhammad. Muhammad died centuries after Christ had been here. Give me the founder of Islam, the founder of Buddhism. Give me the founder of Christian science, maker, uh, Mary Baker Eddy. Give me the founder of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard. Give me your founder. Bring him to me. Stand your founder in front of me, and let's look at them. We know historically when they died, and we know they're still in their grave. I'll give you my founder. My founder went down into the grave, and on the third day, he got up again. Yeah. Amen, amen. And that's what separates the real thing from the false. I want you to stand with me, would you? Are your emotions keeping you from him, Christian or non-Christian? Are circumstances distracting you from receiving his help? Or do you just have unbelief? You know what? I've prayed, I prayed that today God would touch people's hearts and only he can call you out of the grave of sin and death. Only he can. But I believe he's going to today. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If, if you don't know that you know Jesus Christ, I wouldn't leave this building. I wouldn't get on the highway. would not get on the highway if I wasn't sure I knew him. Because he's right next to you knocking on the door of your heart. He has eased up to you just like he did the two men. And he wants you to let him into your life. So let's pray together. I'm going to pray what we call a sinner's prayer because we're all sinners. We all need to be forgiven. But I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If you need to pray it, I want you to pray it with me because you may never have another opportunity like this one. Seriously. You may never have another chance like this one to pray and come to Christ. So pray it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me my many sins. Wash them in your blood. I ask you to come into my heart. I open the door of my life to you. Come in and fellowship with me. From this point forward, in Jesus' name, amen.